Welcome back to Mishnah Yomi. Today we're learning Masechlis Peah Paragimel Mishnah Vav and Mishnah Zion. Two notes on yesterday's recording. One is there were some technical glitches, and I'm sorry everything got out late. Number two was I realized I was not clear. Yesterday when we discussed the mother onions, the onions that were left in the ground, and they would then use that to make seeds, which they would then go and plant, I said that you take pay, there's machlokus if you take pay from them. What I meant to say was there's a machlokus if they're included in the greater total of the amount of your field, so that that ratio of 1 and 160 counts towards it or does not count towards it. Meaning there's no special mitzvah to take peya or leave peya from the, from the uh, onions. Rather, is it included in the greater ratio? A second note, the reason I keep on saying take peya versus leave peya is because there's a machlokus. What is the nature of of this mitzvah of peya? Is it the nature that you should take pay and give it to the ani? Or is nature, no, 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 no. It's not that you should take it and give it to the ani like you're giving charity. Rather, you leave it there, and then the ani comes and takes it. And there are many nafkaminas, which we're not going to get into right now. Comes along our Mishnah, Mishnah Vav, let's continue. The Mishnah is going to give five different opinions about what is the minimal amount of land one owns before they are obligated to leave or take peya. Now we know, leave or take, because it's a machlokas on what exactly you're doing when this peya gets to the ani. I mean, Eliezer Omer. Karka base ro- uh, rova, chayavas If you have a land that's ro- a base rova, a, a quarter of a kav, if it's approximately 375 square feet, then you have to leave pay. And the reason for this is learned out of Hilchas Kloyim in terms of the size of a field. We're not going to get into that now. No, not how much can you plant, and there it's 375 square feet, which then allows you to plant uh, a base rova. Of, of plants, but rather it's how much is this going to yield? And any once you have land that can yield a sasayim, which is about three gallons, if you want to look at it that way, of crops, of produce, then that is chayv in peya. Rav Taref and Omer, no, shisha al shisha tzvachim, a much smaller amount, six by six tzvachim. A tefach is about three and a half inches, so three and a half, um, so about six tzvachim, by six tzvachim, that itself is enough to require you want to make pay, and the reason for that is that when it comes to Hilchos Kalayim, which we, we learn out some of these dinam when it comes to mixing species, so what is the minimal amount you need to have in an area in order to allow five different crops to grow? Meaning the concern with Kalayim is we're going to learn in a few months is you can't mix different species of plants, but if you want to allow five different ve- vegetables to grow in one area, you need to have... Ex- you need to leave space between each one, and as long as you have six by six, that means you can leave about a tefach or so between each one, which would allow them to then take root and expand outwards a little bit and not mix into one another. So that is a small enough land for clients, then it's small enough to prevent clients, so it's small enough, therefore, to obligate one in peyo. He says, no, it's not about the size of the land of how much it's going to yield or how much you're going to plant or how much space you have when it comes to claim. Rather, it's when you go to harvest, you take your hand, you take a fistful, you take a sickle, you cut underneath it, you put that into your basket. You do it again. If you can do that twice, two handfuls, that's enough to obligate you and pay a uh, when the Mishnah says we paskin like this Rabbi Huda ben Becerra, although interestingly, the Rambam does not. Rabbi Kiva Omer, Karka, Kolshu. Says Rabbi Kiva, you know what the obligation for pay is? Any minimal amount of Karka. Kolshu, a tiny bit, that's enough to obligate you and pay us. So again, five sheetas. Rabbi Elazar says, base rova. Rabbi Yeshua says, no, it yields society. Rabbi Tarfin says, six uh, by six. Rabbi Huda ben Becerra says, enough to cut. 
and repeat and cut. And Rabbi Akiva says, no, a karaka kosher, even a tiny bit amount, which is actually the way we're going to paskin. Once we're on the discussion, I call this Gemara or Mishnah ADD, once we're on the discussion of karaka kosher with a, minim, a karka, a minimal, tiny bit amount of land is enough to obligate you one and pay let's discuss other halakhos that are relevant to having owning a minimal kosher of karka, a tiny bit of karka. Says the Mishnah, karka kosher, chayi ovis ubikurim. The mitzvah of you post the mitzvah of bikurim that you take our first fruits of the shivas haminim to the base hamigdash says the mishnah if you have a tiny bit of land enough to grow even one little bit of the, the shivas haminim one of the seven fruits that enough triggers the obligation to take one of them to base hamigdash ulichdov alav prusbol and to write a prusbol what is a prusbol so the the mishnah the oh, mishnah excuse me the psukim tell us miket shivas shanim ta'asa this year in Israel is a Shemitah year. It's a year where we lay, lay, allow our fields to lay fallow. But also, The Pesukim tells in Devarim Perak Tes Vav that not only are we letting our lands lay fallow, but we also do not collect loans, meaning any loan that was outstanding is nullified. You should not pressure your achicha, your friend. Very important. Do not pressure your achicha to your, your 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 brother to collect the loans. As in the loans now are are uh, they go free. Moving right along, he, a couple of seconds later, he shamlucha penya davar im levachal leel yom lomar karava shasashmit davar einecha baachicha ev yom velotitin lo vekaralecha es Hashem vayibalchet. Pasukim say, so if a person knows the seventh year is approaching, he might say to himself, I don't want to lend to my friend, my brother, right, my right, my uh, my achicha, I'm not going to lend him money, because I know the Shemitah is going to come, and I'm going to lose all that money. He's never going to repay it. The Pasukim say, do not do such a thing. Do not, do not withhold loans to people, because that that's that's incorrect. Comes along Hillel, many, many years later, and he had a concern. His concern was, people were going to. We're going to start withholding loans because they didn't want to lose their money. And so in the Gemara and Gittin, in the context of talking about different takanas, mishum tukyon olam, things they're made in order to allow the world to uh, to, 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 to be uh, better. So he realized it was important that people loan. The economy can only function if people are loaning money to one another. And he had a, con- he had a concern people were not going to do it near Shemitah. And therefore he instituted something called a prusbol. The prusbol comes from the word pruz, which is an enactment, and bull, which refers to wealthy people. And effectively the prusbol allows one to still re- uh, uh, give and take loans and allow those loans to remain extant even through the year of Shemitah. How does this work? So one important note is the Rambam thinks it only works because Shemitah is the Rabbanim Bizman Hazet. And it doesn't necessarily work on the level of the Rai, so the Rai disagrees, but for other reasons. But how does the Prisbal work? So effectively what the Prisbal does is it says, what is the whole problem with loans during Shemitah? You're not allowed to take it me'achicha, as we keep on accentuating. You can't take it from your brother. So what they would do is they would write a document where essentially they would hand over the loans to Bezdin. And now the Bezdin, the courts, took owned the loans, and therefore a court's an institution. It's not a brother, it's not, it's not a brother, it's an institution, and they allowed the loans to remain extant, and afterwards they'd come and collect the loans. A bit of a loophole, but it was allowed, we shouldn't take an olim, because sometimes we do certain things in, in order to allow the world to function properly. Says the Gemara, part of the, part of uh, halachas of relegating, um, Part of the halachos that uh, about the prusbol is that you need to also own land. It has to be written on land. It has to have some sort of lien on land. And why that is is a little bit beyond what we're going to get into now. But very simply, very 
uh, succinctly we can say because once you have land and the land is there, land can never run away. And if land can't run away, in a way you can say, I see the land, I have a lien on it, and therefore it's, in a way it's almost as if it's collected already. Because again, you can't, you can't steal land. But for our, okay, that's just a little background, but what, what we need to know is that you need to own a little land in order for the prosbol to work. How much is a little? A kol shoot, just like payout, just like bikurim, so to prosbol. And lastly, another area where land, Kolshu, plays a role is as follows. When it comes to collecting, collecting Nechasim, Sheyesh Lehem which are what Nechasim are, is land, oh, can have a lien on it. We all know you buy a house, you have to check to a, a background search to see if there's a lien. Meaning, if I, for instance, if I buy a land from Harry, and it turns out Harry had creditors who now are come, who now want to come, and they want to, they want, they want the money. Harry's like, I don't have money, so they had a lien on the land. They can go and grab the land from me. The problem with that is I just lost my land, and perhaps depending on how the loan or the sale was was written, I may have not even get the money back for it. The halach is when it comes to land, land that has achrayas, meaning land that can have liens. There's three ways that you can acquire it, either with money. With a document or with a chazaka, I walk onto my land and I do a certain action. I dig a hole, I lock it up, I show ownership, and that is essentially the, where the transfer of ownership goes to me. Whereas when it comes to metalclin, things that are movable, such as a pen, such as um, a car, there, there is no liens. Liens not, you can't have a lien on a car, you can't have a lien on a pen or on any of those things, and the way you acquire those is not through, is not through, uh, money or through a star, a document, or a chazaka. Rather, the way you acquire it is through uh, mishicha or hagba. You pick it up. You walk around with it. So two different ways in order to, in, two different ways to acquire things. Things that have a chrys, where things you can have a lien on, you have to make a real show of ownership by giving money, by writing a document, or walking through the land and closing the door, for instance. Whereas metatlin, which it, there's no lien on it, there you just pick it up or and you, walk, and you pick it up, and that shows you own it. The halacha is the halacha is that if you want to acquire metaltlin, as in things that do not have liens on it, metaltlin, movable items with a kesef shtar chazaka, the way you can do that is if I buy, for instance, land from you, then I'm able to roll over the metaltlin that are on the land or metaltlin in general. So if I buy your house, so that included in that could be the movable items, even though I didn't pick them up or do a mashikh or hagba, do those sort of, of acquisitions of ownership. But just through acquiring your land, I can acquire movable items as well. How much, therefore, land, how much land must you acquire in order to then roll it over and acquire the metaltlin as well? You guessed it, kol shahu. So the first half of the Mishnah was telling us five different approaches, five different shitas when it came to the minimal amount of land one has to own in order to be chayev and peya. And, and then once we discussed Rabbi Kiva's position that actually a koshu would then mention that just like peya, uh, you're a chayev when you have a koshu land, so to be kurim, so to to write a lot of prisbal, and so too in, in order to acquire metatlin uh, through a chazaka, which normally, which normally can only be done with tarka. Mishnah Zayin. There's a very interesting enactment, although normally when one wants to acquire, or in this case, give away something, or sell something, or bequeath something, you need to have a high level of gemiras das, meaning you have to really have it in mind that you want to give it away, and you have to then have it get acquired from you. However, when it comes to 
a person who's on their deathbed, Chazal waived the requirement for there to be a, some sort of Kenyan because they knew the person needs to give away his assets right away. Time is of essence, and therefore we made it very easy for him to give away his, his assets. What if a person is dying? And he says, I'm giving all my, all, everything away. I'm giving everything away. And then what happens? Miracle by miracles, Boruch Rofei Cholim, he gets up, he's all better. But now he owns nothing because he gave it all away. So says the, says the Mishnah. If he mamish gives everything away, so then what we say to him is, oh, he, uh, he didn't really mean to. He only intended to give it away because he thought he wouldn't live. Now that he realizes he's going to live, he, he, re- he regrets it, and we give everything back to the formerly sick person. However, if he gives away all his land, he gives everything away, but leaves for himself a kosho, a tiny, tiny bit amount. So then we assume what he gave away when he was very sick, he actually intended to give away. Because no one who's dying intends to keep anything. Because as we know, you can't take anything with you. You can't take anything with you when you go, as every Muslim tells us. So if he leaves a little bit that shows you he kind of knew maybe he was going to live and he still wanted to give it away. Says the, says the Mishnah, a very sick person, a person on a deathbed, gives away everything, if he leaves for himself a little bit of karka, he shows, he demonstrates that really he knows he might wake up, he might get better, and he still intended to give it away. We look at it as a good present. Low sheer karka koshu ain't matanasa matana. But he mamish gives everything away, so if he gets up, so he didn't really intend to give it away, only for the only for the fact that he thought he was gonna actually die. Now that he didn't die, he takes everything back. Hakosiv nichsav levanov, the kosiv lishto karka koshu ibda ksubasa. A person writes in his will, he gives his children all his all his all his possessions, and he writes to his wife, and you get a tiny bit of karka. Ibda ksubasa. We assume when the fact that she was okay with it, she didn't scream and yell, she, she was essentially saying, I'm okay with this is the way things are divided, and therefore, although a husband obligates himself to give to his wife in the event he dies, they get divorced, exuba, a certain amount of money. Here, the fact that she didn't scream and yell when he gave all his possessions to the children, effectively making it that she gets nothing and only gave her carton cold shoe, the fact that she was, didn't scream and yell, she shows she was preferred that the money and everything goes to the kids and she gets nothing. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Im Kibul Aleha, However, Rav Yossi says, Rav Yossi says that if she accepted that everything should go to her sons, that also is a way of basically saying that I, I, I don't mind, I don't mind, I'd rather my children get it, not me, and there as well, she does not get her ksuba. Everyone should have a wonderful day.